coming up on First Course Verse, I'm just a gigolo, and everywhere I go, no, I'm not. I'm not a gigolo, everybody. <laughs> That's next. Welcome to episode 86 of Verse Chorus Verse. I am DL. With me is Sven Cantaloupe Knutson. Sven, how are you, my I'm man? Island boy. No, a- no, don't bring that into the jazz. Ep- this is a good space. <laughs> the, <laughs> it's the, a safe the, space. The, the jazz just, episode is the good space. I broke the trust. <laughs> I broke the trust. Yeah. Shit. I'm groovy. I'm good. You've had a boat summer. I've had a boat summer. Yeah, we have a little boat. It putters. What else do you need, it's though? It's a giant right? lake. You're familiar with, like, Lucky, Lucky Peak. Peak Reservoir here in Boise, yeah. Idaho. It's, like, where all the, the water skiers and wakeboarders go. So, like, I'm in this tiny boat. It's got a, a decent motor in it, but it weighs, like, nothing. So every time one of those big wakeboard boats goes flying by... It, like, throws me out of the water. My entire <laughs> boat, like, launches into the air. And my kids love it because it's like, yeah, yeah daddy's going to kill us. And we're, <laughs> like, the whole time. That's awesome. The so kids it's, it's, sit on the cooler so the beer doesn't fall out. God, how depressing is it that it's September now? It's bitter and sweet. I'm ready for, like, chili cook-off weather. Not 100-degree weather? Yeah, not 100-degree. Yeah, it's been 100 degrees for, like, I swear, three months straight. I think... I heard there's we set some record here locally for like the most triple digit days in a season or something. You're gonna keep doing it. It's nuts. Hashtag global warming. Hashtag fake news. Hashtag, right. <laughs> hashtag something. <laughs> oh wait, no, it's not global warming anymore. Climate, what is it? Climate change. Climate. Sorry. Annihilation. Yeah. We don't need no climate. Boy, we are not doing a good job of keeping this as a safe space. Speaking of safe spaces, <laughs> I've got COVID, which is why I sound like I just ate rocks. You're so, extra sorry deep about that. today. Spoilers, doesn't matter. It'll already be done. But I recorded a... You don't even know this yet. But I don't. Not this promo, but the next one is Evil and I doing like a Western standoff. Dun, dun, dun. That's why I have the stash. <laughs> stash. It's so bad. This is audio only. Stash. People, if you could see like this caterpillar-like giant fuzzy thing that's across DL's face, good. it is... Yeah, it's golden. That mixed with the voice really lended well to the Western standoff. Like Burt Reynolds would be jealous right now. Oh, I don't know about that. What are we doing tonight, Sven? We're doing my favorite thing to do. Yes. I think it's one of yours, too. Yes. We are talking yes. We are. We're talking about the genre that led us to each other. Totally. Yeah. If it wasn't for jazz, I'm not sure that we would have met. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, that automatically makes it the best job. That makes it the best job. I think if it weren't for jazz, I don't think I would still be doing anything with music. God, that's, that's a possibility. It is a possibility. Like a lot of the things that got me excited about playing and learning and listening all happen all at that same formative time when we met back. Absolutely. Teenagers. Yeah, I actually want to talk more. If you didn't hear season one, we did one of these. We did a jazz episode where we talk Costa and Hampton. Yeah. God, I loved that. I'm very proud of that episode. I, you know, I, I'm still surprised that we landed on Costa and Hampton. I'm not that surprised, but I feel like there was a lot of obvious choices for a first jazz episode that we both kind of like, that's too obvious. That's, you know, it's like cliche yeah. jazz name drops that we were like, we just dodged. Yeah, those are not massive names. No, they're massive musicians and they're greats at what they do. But like, I feel like yeah. no one talks about them. So, well, we did. We did. Damn it. Yes. I had a blast doing that episode. It went really well. I'm glad that we're going to do we're going to do this once a year. I mean, I wish we could do it more, but you know, you people you don't love jazz that much. Oh. <laughs> it's not the most famous genre out there. Oh. If we talk too much jazz, our listeners would click off the radio. <laughs> the radio. <laughs> but we can uh, we can do a couple ourselves. Uh, episodes yeah. that are jazzish a year. Yeah. We tend to try to get a interview somebody that is jazz based a couple, you know, once a year. And then we do these jazz episodes and 
Do you play jazz ever, Sven? Because I don't. Like play as in like spin a record or play, play. oh. No, like do you bust out your keyboard and, and dink around? Because I don't, don't really, really do, do jazz, jazz stuff. I, I use elements of that in other things that I do, especially like you bring up keyboards. I use that as jumping off points when composing other things that don't necessarily end up being a jazz tune. I'm just addicted yeah. to big chords with weird voicings and, and figuring out how to voice it so I can get all these notes. Let's talk a little bit more jazz before. Before we do, we got to get to the most important part of the night. What are we drinking? Oh, you're going to be so proud of me today. Then I'm going to go first because yeah. I'm, I kept it simple. Like I said, I'm, I'm starting to get over the COVID. I feel way better tonight, but I'm still taking it easy. So I've just, I've got some ice water uh, with a teeny bit of cranberry juice in it. And then I've got a uh, Widmer Heffy. Heffy. Um, That's good for a hot day. Yeah. Widmer Hefeweizen is a really good hot day beer. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Widmer. Now, do you put your citrus in your beer when you're having a Hefeweizen? I know a lot of people like their orange slice, or I've seen a lemon. I like lemon in a Hefe, yeah. but I usually when it's bottled, I'm a little too lazy. Yeah. It, which is weird because in a Corona or a Mexican beer... You will cut up a lime. Always. Always. But when it's a Hefe, I'm like, eh, just drink it. I don't care. <laughs> um, well, Hefe's are a little more complex. I think. Yeah. So you're okay. Then a Corona. You You got some. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's already some citrus there and like the yeast and it gives you some, yeah, some flavor profile, not just. (laughs) Sven, why would I be proud of you? Oh, okay. So it's, we were just talking about how hot it's been and my new, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do a beer tonight. Oh, I'm going to make a drink right now with very few simple ingredients. That's my new like summertime. It's a hundred degrees out beverage. I'm going to see if you can guess what it is based on the first ingredient, which is uh, sparkling mineral water from Mexico. Topo Chico is, and I need to drain some out of it real quick. I didn't bring a glass. I was not as prepared as I should have been. So we're going to make the cocktail right in You're just going to put bottle. them in the bottle. And then I've got some 1800 Blanca. Wonderful. I'm usually a Reposado guy. Is the next ingredient a fruit of some kind? It is a fruit that I've pre-sliced and it's right to, it's over here on my left. So and that is my, yes. So this is the way I'm going just because it's, it's kind of been my drink of the summer. I'm going to say that you've got some grapefruit. Oh, I was wrong. I was going to say po- I, I was going to say I, Paloma, but no. Ooh, it's close. Same concept, right? With a lime and um, squeeze it. Sorry, I am making a mess trying to squeeze enough lime. I love this. this. Trying to get a <laughs> trying to get a half ounce of lime into a bottle. A water bottle that he's trying to make a cocktail in. This is spectacular. This is awesome. Anyway, this is. Tastes like water on a ranch. Love it. Ranch water, folks. Love it. It is. You actually win, and that is a that's a pretty brilliant. Next time I go camping, I'm just gonna take some mineral water bottles, yeah, and like a bottle of tequila and some limes, and just do exactly what you're doing. That's kind of brilliant. I mean, like Post Malone taught me like my camping cocktail, which is the vodka and the Lacroix. Oh yeah, kind of like the best cheap vodka that you have, and. Add a little fruit of whatever yeah. you want, and bam, it's perfect. Let's get into jazz. Before we talk about the artists that we're going to talk about tonight, we did the same thing as last year where I chose an artist that I'm going to kind of discuss to Sven, and Sven's going to add in. And, You're going to uh, educate we, me. We say teach. I'm going to educate him. He's going to educate me. Bottom line is, is, is both of us probably don't know that much more than the other about the specific artists. But I think, actually, you know, I think in these two circumstances. You probably I, got me on this, like I, as far as knowledge well, on your pick. On my pick. I yeah. think both of us did good. In your case, you can teach me a lot about the guy that you are going to and vice versa. Because uh-huh. I don't want to talk about that yet, but there is a reason why that we'll discuss when we get to your artist. Before we do that, I just want to talk jazz in general because we started to have a really interesting conversation. It was just today. Mm-hmm. We were just discussing about starting tonight and how you were super regretting picking your choice because <laughs> <laughs> the volume of work and the yeah because there's some so pressure daunting. i feel like if there are some jazz heads listening you hear this name and and i know there's gonna be people like mm-hmm, what's he gonna i don't know yes i don't know they're the dudes pulling out their collector edition 370 dollar print from his live show in whatever year oh, like geez. there are those people that are oh yeah so the guy that you picked played with another guy anytime that that guy 
is anywhere in the vicinity of anything, I feel like you're going to get some psycho fans. <laughs> yeah. Was that vague enough, that, do you oh, think? Oh, man. <laughs> I can't wait for this. Because <laughs> in a way, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, um, we'll get to it. <laughs> oh, what's shit. cool, though, is it led to a cool conversation about how we were having favorites. Mm -hmm. Right now, the guy that I studied, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm learning about this guy and you start to feel like this is the best artist ever, your favorite. We were talking about how it seems like with jazz, especially anybody that you're currently really into or mm -hmm. listening to just feels like the best artist right. of all time. And, and not just like the art, like that song that you're listening to currently or that solo that you're listening to currently. That's the best solo that it's going on right now in my ears, you know? It's very mm -hmm. in the moment. That's what I love about jazz is that it exists in the moment. It should be at that time your favorite. Like everything else should just melt away and you should just focus on that thing. Like you don't know anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. You said something interesting too that I want to touch on before we get into this whole thing. You said we were having the discussion and towards the end of the discussion, you said that to you in that way, jazz is very Buddhist. Oh, jazz. Yeah. Jazz is very Buddhist. What did you mean by that? Yeah. I think kind of what I, what I just said about how it exists in the moment, whether you're, you're listening to jazz or playing jazz. I mean, jazz musicians know this. Like if you're improvising with other people, you're not thinking about tomorrow. You're not thinking about what you want to play. You're not thinking about what you just played. You're listening to what the other people you're with are playing, and you're trying to figure out. It's like you exist in this plane together. No one's trying to outshine anyone yeah. else. You're all trying to figure out how you can work within what each person is bringing to the table. There's always going to be surprises. There's no wrong notes. If someone does something that you're not expecting, uh, it's kind of like the unspoken rule of jazz. You you don't flip out. You don't make a funny face. You you take whatever they put out there and you do something that's with the, it. You add to it. That's what makes you a jazz musician is it's... Right. You not only let that bad note or, or riff or whatever you want to call it happen, you embrace it. Right. Yeah, and exactly. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a practicing Buddhist, but I've, I've been around people that are and I've educated myself enough about the practice of Buddhism to know that that's a major component in existing in the present, being mindful of the present, and also understanding that everything that people you share this world with is going to affect your next, what you're doing right now. And everything that you do is affecting the people all around you and that we all coexist yeah. in this space that is always a push and pull. You, you do yourself no favors by like holding on to the last thing that happened or you know living in the past or always being so far into the future that you can't wait for the next thing and the next thing and, and then you, you don't enjoy life. And so in those ways, I feel like the two are so much alike and practicing Buddhism must be a lot like playing jazz. I completely agree. I think that's a great take. I think that should lead us into it. So what say you, we take a break, get our wits about us, and we come back with the uh, first artist that we're going to talk about. Yeah. We'll be right back. And every time it rains, it rains. Panties from heaven. Shoo-be doo Don't you know each cloud contains panties from heaven? Shoo-be doo We are back tonight. I have chosen to discuss the king of swing, Louis Leo Prima. Louis Leo Prima, born in 1910 in Nola. This is something that's pretty amazing. Not amazing, you know. It's very likely that this was going to happen, but... I like that the two guys that we picked are from New Orleans and Chicago. If you're going to talk American jazz, those are the places you have to talk about. Born in NOLA. I'm all about NOLA this year. Super into it. We got to talk to Annie Clemens. You know, I've always been a huge Louis Prima fan. Love his vocals. Love his kind of goofiness. The way that he carried himself was so fun. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was maybe something from my childhood that we'll delve into later that was another reason I liked him. But uh, I can't wait to hear that um, story. I really wanted to talk about him uh, mostly because he was from New Orleans. I did want to talk about a, a jazz singer this time. It was basically between him and Joe Williams. Mm. Joe Williams will 
be my next one. About two seconds into listening to his music, uh, it's not hard to tell that he's Italian. He's yeah. from an Italian family. He's, you know, all the pennies from heaven and Buonasera and all that stuff. Uh, direct descendants, his mother that had immigrated and a father whose father immigrated from Sicily. So they were very, very, very Italian, which is interesting when he, he was most into singing about his Italian heritage and really singing about his antipasti songs and his really drenched in Italian songs, you know, Hey yeah. Mambo sort of stuff was actually in the 40s during World War II. You would think that there would be a little bit of backlash because of the war, but he was very, you know, people were very okay with him being Italian, saying, I am American Italian. We are proud of our heritage, just not of what Italy's doing right now. Mussolini and all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because America doesn't it, seem like the type of place that would be cool with that. It'd be like, right, <laughs> you know? And at that time too, like, he wasn't as jazzy yet, right? No. Like, had, I mean, he wasn't performing swing. He was a yeah. He was a lot more kind of a hokey New Orleans sort of thing. There's a fella named Luigi. He comes from Italy. I wanna be like Luigi, cause he's always got money with a book in his pocket. Yeah. So, growing up in New Orleans, mom was a big, huge music lover. Forced all of the kids to play instruments. He started with the violin, and he hated it. Too gentle too sweet uh sven i feel like i've heard this story before <laughs> you see me over here nodding my head like <laughs> yeah i feel you louis i feel you primo <laughs> plus like any other most other jazz influenced people he heard louis armstrong and he was done he's like what am i doing with this stringed instrument this is silly he was lucky enough to grow up in the melting pot of NOLA, you know, black people, white people, immigrants from different countries, all playing music together. It led to amazing, amazing music. Uh, his brother played a cornet growing up. And then when his brother left home, he picked took that it. up. He, he left his cornet, picked that up, started wailing on it. Eventually that became a trumpet yeah. and he just, he never looked back. By the time he was 18, he had his mindset. He was going to be a professional musician and uh, started gigging. Damn. I don't know a ton about him. I think the only thing I'm re like before kind of looking up some things about, you know, looking into him for this episode, I'm going to let you get to it because I have a feeling this might be a story for you. But there's one thing that I knew that he did, like when I think of Louis Prima. And it was it was in film. So it's the same thing that I was talking about with my childhood. So yeah, I, I have a feel that that. Mm -hmm. So I was not familiar with a lot of the other things that he's done, but he's definitely recorded some songs that I know other artists have had success with, and like to find out that he had recordings of those previous like to the versions that i had heard of you're of course referring to david lee roth and van halen correct of course <laughs> Meh. no yeah i think i know a very specific song you are aiming at that i don't think people know that he wrote yeah my last jazz episode i picked lionel hampton who's a true incredible talent that was picked up by Benny Goodman for his band. <laughs> Rest was history. Yeah. You know, you you're dripping with talent and the most talented band leader possibly ever sees you and you join the band. That's it. This is kind of the opposite story of that Louis and not saying Louis wasn't talented. Louis was extremely talented, but Louis, it was a lot more of a personality thing and it didn't just hit he gigged his ass off. He drove all over NOLA, Florida, all over the South, up to the North. He gigged and gigged and gigged, trying to, you know, gigging to completely empty places. Uh, something that I think many, many, many musicians can relate to. Louis Prima was very much an earn your stripe story. Like most musicians, he had no choice. By 1934, he moved to New York to try once and for all to get 
to get this shit done. And by that time, he had already recorded under smaller labels like Bluebird. But it was still, it wasn't big. At that time, it was kind of like I had said to Sven, it was kind of more of a New Orleans big band sort of thing. Not big band, but you know how New Orleans has the eight guys on the side of the road. Yep banging it out the dixieland kind of thing the dixie jazz and that kind of yes exactly that's that's the word i was trying to get to but the thing is is the second that you see louis prima on a video or anything second you see him perform there was no doubt this guy was going to make it massively which he absolutely did baby baby it looks like it's gonna hail baby baby it looks like it's gonna hail He was able to keep his very specific, it was very unique, this Italian but Nola feel that wasn't a Nola Creole. It was like Italian Nola. It was something different. And so he kept that going with his band at that time called the New Orleans Gang, which was doing kind of honestly exactly what Louis Armstrong had been doing for years. But hey, at that time, copies of copies of copies and they're good copies if you're able to copy louis armstrong's band you're you're good yeah everybody (laughs) would love to do that i mean yeah 1936 finally brunswick record gives louis prima a contract this is the album that he writes and produces the swing anthem and i mean like the swing anthem yeah. yeah Sing, sing, sing. Yeah. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody start to sing. La di da, ho ho ho. Now you're singing with a swing. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody start to sing. La di da, ho ho ho. Now you're singing with a swing. And when the music goes around, everybody goes to town. But anybody that doesn't know that beat. Like, oh, they'll know because I mean, I'm playing it right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think every drummer learns that rhythm at some point, and everybody. Yes. I love that it all circles back around to Benny Goodman again. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> I'm second year in a row. Yeah. My Apparently, my jazz picks are all going to be like seven degrees of Benny Goodman uh-huh. without even picking Benny Goodman. Mm-hmm. Every single swing band ever would end up recording playing that benny goodman was the one that made it the most famous but louis prima wrote the motherfucker so right and actually at that time louis prima wasn't that loved by a you know high quality jazz critics didn't like him this was back in the time where every move and every note for the people that were critiquing needed to be really on point and he wasn't he was a polish he was a fucking goofball yeah and they didn't like that This is two separate quotes, one good, one bad from critics. One critic wrote, tight swinging arrangements filtered through his unique humor and Italian sensibility, which I think is great. A not so good critique by Penguin Encyclopedia of Popular Music (laughs) defined his vocals as a nonsensical mixture of jive speak, Neapolitan slang and bad English. (laughs) Bunch of racists. Yeah. (laughs) But the thing is... He doesn't speak proper. But the good thing is, is that besides the critics, everybody else fucking loved him. And eventually this would become massive. One of the reasons I think the critics didn't understand it is because it spoke to too many people because every ethnicity was buying this shit. Everybody wanted to go see his shows. Yeah. He had fucking groupies. He had... They were called the prima donnas. He had like women in droves showing up to his shows trying to like give him lasagna and shit (laughs) (laughs) give him lasagna that sounds like it should be a code for something but i think they literally i think they literally were they literally wanted to give him pasta (laughs) and feed him he can have some of my lasagna yeah in 1939 he started a new jazz group because he just kept growing in popularity he was working he was touring his ass off he just kept doing that for years and years and years he had this new jazz group going through hollywood he started to have female singers with him he started you know really bebopping with big time he was dating gene harlow you know life was good man he he was doing quite well for himself yeah in 48 so he had been touring forever Eventually, the Italian, the whole Italian, not shtick, but just the stuff he was doing with the Italian stuff stopped being so popular. And he realized 
that he had to change his groove. And so this is when he really started to find himself in the whole band leader slash goofball kind of thing. And in 48, this really came to a head because he picked up this brand new female vocalist who was only 16 at the time. Her name was Dorothy Keeley. Changed her name to Keeley Smith. Sven, have you seen Louis Prima and Keeley Smith perform together? No, I don't think so. It is one of the most hilarious things you will ever see. So Louis Prima is Louis Prima. He is this just insanely wildly energetic kid that's bouncing around and, and he is the band leader of band leaders, you know, like he's counting yeah. four, four, but he's, he's swinging his hands up in the air. He's jumping around. Everything is in fluctuated in his whole body. When he sings Keely Smith, deadpan face, kind of petite girl, <laughs> just standing there. Nothing is funny at all. Sort of thing. And, <laughs> and it's funny because the first couple of times you actually watch them, you pull up a video and you watch them. It just seems like, is she, it was this like a weird night where she's pissed off at him. Like this is awkward as hell. What's going on? <laughs> and then after a couple times of watching yeah. it, you're like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. This is so brilliant. Oh. They'll start doing little things to each other during the show, and they're just kind of fucking with each other the whole time. It's like a little slapstick, like exactly like Three Stooges thing going on, but it, yeah, it was it's so perfect, it's so amazing. I was laughing because when you start when you as you were telling the story, I just pulled up a like Google image search of the two of them, and like I think it's a flyer for a show or it might uh-huh. be a record cover. And it, it's exactly that. His, his <laughs> giant mouth wide open, just like, like smiling. smiling. And she's just got this stare, <laughs> yeah. blank face. Louis and Keeley. I yeah. think it's a record cover. I think this is, yeah. Yeah. What is this? It's a- um, and eventually they'd start to warm through the shows. And they, you, you watch and you catch their characters crack every once in a while. It's just amazing. By 53, they got married. This was his fourth wife. Yeah, he was very much a womanizer. He was all that sort of stuff. All those guys were back then in the the 50s. Love them till they don't. Exactly. The marriage didn't work. Uh, they got divorced eight years after, you know, they were both famous. They were both. So at this point, they were in Vegas. Louis knew that they had to figure shit out. And at this point, this was when Vegas was becoming the thing. This is like Rat Pack era Vegas. This show just got more popular and more popular in Vegas until it was really the most popular show in Vegas. They called it the wildest show in Vegas. They would sometimes go five fucking times a night. Ooh. Five times a night. Freaking exhausting. Oh my God. But it's brilliant music and it's sexual innuendo and it's drinks and it's dancing. It's, It's Vegas and it's perfect. Oh my God. That old black magic. Yes. I just had a flashback of us in high school, <laughs> and uh, I that was a oh singer. God, that we was did, a singer. We did old black magic, and I yeah. played saxophone on that shit. <laughs> Prima and Keeley, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, old black magic <laughs> was uh, was Louis Prima. All right. I should stay away. That's a great, great, great song. They had so many good ones. His band was incredible. He had brought back Sam Butera, which was this New Orleans saxophone player who was just this beast of a sax player is playing with him. He had really just figured figured the shtick out. Uh, but, you know, like I said, all the partying and all the heated fighting and stuff like that, eventually he and Keely Smith got divorced. Keely Smith left. 
And he tried to bring on another woman, but it didn't work. People didn't want that. He stayed on. He was working at the Sahara Hotel, which was the the big hotel in Vegas at that time. And he was still doing really well. By 1956, he was one of the biggest artists in the States. Capitol Records signed him. He immediately released his most popular and I think what many consider one of the best jazz albums all time, which is Louis Primo's The Wildest, which has Jump, Jive, and Whale, Bonacera, O'Marie, The Lip, and of course, everyone's favorite, Just a Gigolo. Yeah. Wow. Ain't got nobody melody, Mm -hmm. which really honestly did get big again, thanks to Van Halen. So shout out to Van Halen. But when Van Halen redid Just a Gigolo, Louis Prima's version sold a bunch again, too. Funny how that stuff happens. By 61, he was the biggest show in Vegas. This has kind of started getting him in trouble because he used that to leverage contract with Dot, which was another company, and he was kind of pinning capital versus dot together back and forth and all that stuff with keely smith happened around the same time so it kind of screwed him Mm. but he was still successful he was successful in vegas just not as successful as i think he could have been all the way up until 67 but in 67 and we got to touch on this friend in 67 he was approached to do a movie that uh, this is where yeah and not just do the music for a movie but be a character in the movie gonna be a voice actor right he was the like my favorite character actually in this movie that i think you're about to talk about yes and this is my hot take and we're gonna have to talk about this i think sven uh best disney soundtrack of all time the jungle book that's my yeah that's my hot take i 100 percent agree do you really and I 100% the song that I think we're about to talk about is the reason why. I mean, Bare Necessities, I I remember singing that as a kid. Even just the stuff that was played, the orchestral stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Like lyrical stuff. It's got this like like, warm. Disney was fantastic with all the music they did back then. They sure were. it, It wasn't just like get a pop star and use one of their songs and then they get a cameo. It was, they had full orchestral arrangements of everything and for sure, I think I still get down to Jungle Book soundtrack. Yes, and of course, so with Louis Prima playing King Louis in the Jungle Book, he of course got to do the song I want to be like you now I'm the king of the swingers oh the jungle VIP I've reached the top and had to stop and that's what's bothering me which is such a fucking cool jazz song it's so good I love that I love I love every cover I've heard of that song I want to be like you I think that's one of those, yeah. like, it's my, like, gay, you know, if it's a good song, other people can play it, and it's still an awesome song. You can't fuck it's that so song good. up. It's just so, yeah. I honestly do think it's the best Disney soundtrack, and I think he's responsible for it. It's an amazing movie with amazing songs, and uh, he is, he's fucking awesome. And the mouth trumpet solo in that, yeah. that's, that's yeah. fucking... That's the <laughs> shit right there. Like, don't need your trumpet. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pretty good, Sven. Yeah. <laughs> Primo stayed in Vegas, 60s, 70s, uh, ended up at the Sands Hotel. He and Butera in the 70s, the sax player was with, ended up going back to New Orleans, and they just started playing the French Quarter. Until 75, uh, Louis Primo... He underwent surgery to remove a brain tumor and fell into a coma, and he ended up passing away at 78 from it. But yeah, so Prima's music, it reappeared again in 85 with Van Halen, and then actually in 2022, his fifth wife released a bunch of records that had non-release songs on it. Everything recorded between 62 and 75, including his album Angelina, which is this incredibly rare sought-after vinyl Uh, It's all these old Italian songs. And Louis Prima remains this big, lovable, fun act. And luckily, he was around in the 50s and the 60s where you can, man, go to YouTube and watch Louis Prima and Keely Smith or 
go listen to The Wildest by Louis Prima. Mm. He's spectacular. He doesn't take himself too seriously, which that's a good thing with jazz when these guys chill out a little bit. It's supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. Have a good time. And that's Louis Prima. That's nuts. And it it all circled back to Nola. Ended up back back in New Orleans Orleans, where he needed to be. Yeah. Right? That's my man wow. Louie. King Louie. That's Louie. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, see, now I'm going to have to go listen to The Wireless. Yeah, oh, it's so good. I can't honestly say that I know his recorded version of Sing, Sing, Sing. I always think of, you know. The Benny Goodman. Benny Goodman. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Everybody does. I mean, Everybody who wouldn't? Does. But, you know. But, yeah. I'm stoked. I, I just want to go watch The Jungle Book. That, too. That might be how I fall asleep tonight. <laughs> We are done with one artist. We got to get to a second. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Life goes on without me. Cause I ain't got nobody. Oh, and there's nobody just for me. There's nobody just for me. I'm so sad. I feel like I got to cheat. My pick was a cheat because I, I was really indecisive and I kept thinking of all these people I want to talk about. I even tried to switch at one point. You totally gave me an out. But then I was like, you know what? No, I am totally going to stick with one of the most influential musicians for me. I think I say that about a lot of people, but it's all true. Yeah. But also one of the most formative, groundbreaking, innovative musicians that spans several genres. So it's a jazz episode, and I did pick a, a jazzer. Yeah, he has touched so many genres: the electronic genre, hip hop, rock. You hear his influence all over. I think when you get to people in his era, which is a little more 70s, yeah, those jazz musicians did that. They did get yeah. a little more into the rock and the funk. And the- Once electronic music started kind of becoming the, the go-to and, and electronic instruments becoming a little more normal and, and people weren't so pure about staying acoustic, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like the world just opened up. Anyway... I am talking about Mr. Herbie Hancock. Damn Skippy. Herbie. If nothing else, like people know like Rocket. It was on MTV. I remember the video. It was like the weirdest video of like things floating around this room all like claymation animated and like I don't think I've seen it. It's a weird music video. Huh. I remember it playing on MTV and then later on like VH1 had it going a ton when MTV stopped. Wow, music, it won a Grammy. It did. It's wow. definitely not one of my favorite songs, but it's one that everyone knows. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's it's not like this is what I want everyone to know about Herbie is Rocket, yeah. but I feel like that's where yeah. everyone starts. And it's a good starting point because it's accessible. What I'm going to I'm going to take a little different approach with this. I'm going to give really brief facts, but I think I'm going to skip a lot of biography and like dates because, well, A, anyone can Wikipedia this. B, he's got a biography called Possibilities, which is awesome. And I recommend anyone reading that because it also, our earlier discussion about jazz and Buddhism, Herbie Hancock is a practicing Buddhist and he talks about it in the book Possibilities. I think that's kind of where my head was coming from when we had our discussion and kind of why I... I put those two things together that like, yeah. I love that. Uh, This is a stupid question, uh but did he come out with his Possibilities album the same time as the- Writing the the book? Biography. Yeah. Um, Did they correlate or was the album called Possibilities because of- They- I don't know like if they got released book publishing and the album coming out. I mean, it could just been that that was what he was working on. Yeah. David with the difficult questions. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> was like seven years after. Oh, that was like 2012, Eight what, years, 12, nine 13, years, 2014. 2014. 2014. Oh, so it was, it so was way after. after. Possibilities. Okay, so he named the book after the album. Yeah. Or maybe he just really likes the word possibilities. The album kind of goes along with a lot that's in his biography. If you look at like who he had on that album and how much he kind of had to step was, outside of what yeah. might be his normal comfort zone. Yeah, still being Herbie, but Herbie with all these other awesome people like Paul Simon and Paula Cole and 
Christina uh, Aguilera else that we'll get into later. <laughs> so, and and that's the I think one of the most impressive things about him. He's collaborated like with everybody. Yeah. I so many. I definitely feel like I got to cheat because I didn't have to pick a musician. I'm going to get to talk about oh, a shit ton of yes. awesome musicians. Yeah. I hear that Herbie Hancock was in uh somebody's band that's a pretty good jazz musician. Yeah, I think <laughs> we're we're going to get there. We're, I'm going to break this up kind of into his influence on harmony and how we view what we play behind a Love melody. It. Talk a little bit about his like his piano skills obviously because I think first and foremost, he was a piano prodigy yeah. even though he's expanded into all this electronic stuff with synthesizers and i think if you ask him there's quotes of him saying like you know at at his core he's a he's a pianist that's mm-hmm. his primary instrument is a acoustic piano which he'd been playing since he was a kid i mean he, yeah. he was like one of those prodigies by 11 years old he 11 was... years old yeah, yeah. He, he was already doing these crazy piano concertos and from chicago never formally trained in jazz at all just so insane yeah he definitely carved his own path i think a lot of it was he met the right people said yes to the right people yeah you alluded to i think one of the most influential people in his life in miles davis Mm -hmm. and joining miles davis's band herbie hancock was still kind of cutting his chops and to get to cut your chops in a band like that Playing with guys like Miles Davis and Wayne Shorter. Yeah. As a saxophone player, that that was kind of a lot of my jazz background was all these awesome sax players. And yeah, that's definitely one of the the two of those guys, the way that their brains connect and can finish each other's thoughts and the way they support each other. It's amazing. Did you find the quote that it was in a Miles Davis autobiography that he said about Herbie Hancock. Hmm. Herbie was the step after Bud Powell and Thelonious Monk, and I haven't heard anybody yet who has come after him. Ooh, that's that is, <laughs> that is sweet. That is to have someone say that about you. Have yeah. Miles Davis say that? Oh my that's god, about the biggest compliment you could ever get. Wow, and I, I it's hard to argue that. Yeah, I think. Yep. There's people that Miles's influence on him. I know uh, Herbie tells a story about at one point being kind of stuck in a rut playing the same chords, playing the same stuff. And he was really tearing himself up about it. I think Miles knew he was having problem, kind of like a creative block. Mm-hmm. And Miles leans over to him and says, you know, like, don't play the bottom notes. What Herbie thought Miles said was, don't play the butter notes. <laughs> Miles said, don't play the bottom notes, you know, like the root of the chord. Yeah. Like, skip those. Herbie hears, don't play the butter note. What's the butter notes? And so he's in his own brain trying to figure out butter notes. Must be like, oh, so like the obvious notes, I think is what he settled on. He's like, don't play the obvious notes in the chord. Don't play the ones that everyone expects you to play. Okay, that'd be like your, everyone expects you to play the third. Yeah. Because that makes it major or minor. Then everyone always, it's jazz, so you throw a seventh on there, right? So he cut the thirds and sevenths and got more applause that evening uh, than he ever had before. And he goes on to say in the story that had that not happened, had he not misheard Miles and had that exchange, he wouldn't voice chords the way he does now. And if you listen to how he voices chords, they're notes that should not go together. Yeah, You could condense in one octave, he's playing like chromatic notes that are next to each other or notes that are half step, whole step apart that create all this dissonance. Mm -hmm. But the way he spreads it out on the keyboard, it makes it awesome. It makes it okay. Absolutely. That was the lesson I got as a as a young jazz musician from Herbie is that like there really is no wrong note. He was one of the people that proved to me that you can't play a wrong note. You just have to put the note in the right place. Yeah. And then it makes sense and play it. We've talked about that a lot. With, I don't know if it was the first time we talked about jazz on this podcast, but when we did the episode where you gave me the Jacob Collier album Mm -hmm. we talked about that a lot because jacob collier you can see so much influence from these type of jazz artists in a guy like him who it seems like he takes every single note i guess what he would do is he would make sure that he's not doing the butter notes in that right (laughs) the experimentation and the freedom that these guys gave themselves which to a layman, it's kind of bullshit. You know what? If I got out there and I did that, it would sound like the biggest pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but Herbie, the 
chromatic build that Herbie had, and even just listening to him noodle around, yeah. he'll sometimes tinkle a little bit, but it's always it's always full notes. It's always like every finger is somewhere. Like blah, yeah. dun, dun. it's amazing to watch. Yeah. You're talking about his his comping a little bit, you know, and that mm-hmm. that's one of the things that category that I put him in as as far as like if you're wanting to learn that. And for anyone that's not a jazz head or doesn't the vocabulary comping in the jazz world is when you're complimenting or accompanying the other instrument. Yeah. You're supposed to kind of support them, listen to what they're doing, and then provide you interject with other ideas that supports their musical idea. And I think one of my favorite examples, it illustrates what you just talked about, the way he plays, but also illustrates how it jazzes Buddhism. In the moment, you have to mm. just do something, right? Like, there's a recording, Milestones, and it was a live recording from 1965. It's in Chicago. And mm. Miles Davis forgets his own melody. They start this tune, plays like three notes, leaves all the space, forgets the head, forgets the tune, and you hear Wayne Shorter kind of doing a little thing, and then Herbie fills the space. But instead of going nuts, like, you know, jumping in with, like, some crazy solo, he just perfectly timed chords. And sometimes he'd break Uh. up the chords to, you know, he'd play the first part of the chord, leave a little more space, then play the last few notes of the chord. Yeah. The way he was smart about it and created, it took this moment that was like, why isn't Miles playing the melody? And turn it into almost something that you're like, it's like an intro. He played a, a wrong chord in the middle of a show. He immediately, like, crumbled you know like when you make a mistake and you know everyone's gonna know and you Mm -hmm. just and thinking like what's miles gonna do and miles davis instead of like plowing through hears this wrong chord and takes it and does something with it like answers back and morphs the song morphs the melody morphs what he's doing yeah all these are just lessons in jazz and music that i've through the years every time i i swear anytime i hear herbie hancock open his mouth some wisdom falls out that makes me a better person or a better musician what year was and sorry i'm putting you on the spot do you know what year herbie joined the davis quartet like early 60s 63 okay yeah 63 that sounds i think that makes sense it's so interesting because when I think of people like Herbie, the post 50s, like we were talking about, but then the pre Wynton Marcellus, uh-huh. thinking of the Miles and the Herbies it was like and the, stuff. The, the post bop. Yeah. Like, bebop had happened, and this is like after bebop, but we're not into fusion exactly. yet. A lot of bebop influence, a lot of like quick little outlining chords and arpeggios and. Yeah. So do you know and when I'm going to keep doing this? Sorry. Do you know when he left the Davis Quartet to start the Headhunters? I want to say 70 okay. or 73, so he was with, 71. He was with the Davis Quartet for like, what, seven years, probably something like that. Yeah. Okay. I think officially 1969 or 68. Got it. Well, I'll circle back to that. Yeah. Sorry. I skipped. <laughs> oh, I skipped ahead. Of no, not shit. at all. Well, I'm still kind of going on about harmony. Um, one example that I think anyone listening might love to check out. I hope so. Anyway, his album Gershwin's World, there's a tune on it called St. Louis Blue. St. Mm. Louis. Jesus, yeah. See, it's talk. not fair for me to talk about Louis. Louis Prima. The whole and first part of the episode. St. Louis. And then you're trying to say Louis. St. Louis Blues with a cameo (laughs) that I don't know that he's listed. Go to Discogs and he's not listed in the credits. It's a blues chart. It's one of the coolest grooves. Love it. It, And I do. I love St. Louis Blues. So it's Mm -hmm. it's St. Louis Blues with Stevie Wonder singing. Oh, no shit. And playing harmonica. Stevie's another one of those guys that I feel like he really stretches chords and stretches harmony and comes up with these cool ways to play a melody that you wouldn't expect over these chords. And the two of them do things in the song that you would never do in St. Louis that are so, (laughs) they're way too jazzy for a blues tune, but it sounds just, it's awesome. Yeah, just another one of those examples of, of how Herbie just pushes the envelope of 
harmony and what you're expecting, you know? Absolutely. We've talked Miles Davis, Stevie Wonder. He's played with so many people. Mm -hmm. I tried to bail on on Herbie Hancock in in the middle of the week and was like, can I do Sonny Rollins instead? (laughs) He played with Sonny Rollins. This is, there's a few surprises though. And one of the things that I, I really got into is how well he, because a lot of times he plays with these amazing vocalists or people that are, are really well known for like their vocal chops or they've been pop artists mm-hmm. or had success that way. And, and Herbie, as much as like when I listen to him, I want him to just go beast mode and cram a bunch of these awesome runs and licks into the, every bar. And just like, I could listen to Herbie <laughs> solo for hours and hours. But how good he is at just making other people sound good. His album, Joni Letters, mm, which is yeah. a lot of Joni Mitchell songs. And then he has some other random ones that he just yeah. pulls in there. Edith and the Kingpin. It's sung by Tina Turner on this record. stuff that he plays behind her it's like having a conversation he's just she's using words mm-hmm. and singing and he's responding and like talking back it's using amazing his piano I, so i listened to this album in prep for this i just i listened to like mm-hmm. one jazzy herbie hancock album and then i looked up quote unquote what's his best album type of thing and a lot of stuff said this album a lot of stuff was like you need to check out this out so i yeah. listened to it and it is it's freaking amazing He's got shit on here with Leonard Cohen is on it. It's crazy. Oh, it's Jesus. so good. Yeah. My favorite, you mentioned earlier, right? The Headhunters record. Yeah. And I think this is probably the one that a lot of people, if you're not huge into jazz, this is one I think anyone can appreciate. His dive into, I think he set out to create a straight funk record. James Brown era like funk was in its hate miles had gone like down the electronic route with like some mm-hmm. of the fusion stuff and i think herbie was was there but wanted to do something less jazzy and just he wanted a straight just groove funk album mm-hmm. it's so funk influence and that's the kind of funk i like but he also dives into some of the coolest synthesizer sounds and noises yeah and it's really good. Blends it with world music. The intro to Watermelon Man, I remember being something that led me to experiment with like weird rhythms and syncopation yeah. and mm-hmm. layering different things. He took songs that he had that were kind of jazz standards that he played on piano and then these electronic versions of them. I didn't know this until right now. Did you know that hmm. Headhunters was the first jazz album to go platinum? I did not know it was platinum. Yeah. But That's, that makes sense. Wow. I think most people, if, if they've heard any Herbie Hancock and don't know anything else about Herbie Hancock, have heard something off of Headhunters. I guess I just figured it would have had to be Miles Davis. That would have had to have been one of the first platinum in a silent way. Or Was Herbie Hancock on In a Silent Way? Uh, he was. He played electric piano on In a Silent Way think so fucking herbie man i think that's another influence of Mm -hmm. miles on him too is the electric thing because herbie was a piano player and i i think and that might have been the album actually he has a story in possibilities about his like the first time he played a fender Rhodes electric Mm -hmm. miles called him up a recording gig and he shows up at the studio and he's looking around for the piano and doesn't see a piano and you know walks up to miles it's like what what do you want me to do? And Miles points to this Fender Rhodes over in the corner. He's like, play that thing. <laughs> and so he went over and kind of tested it out and got into it. And, and I think arguably Herbie Hancock is the best Fender Rhodes soloist ever. Like, I don't know anyone else that I can think of feels like he's invented yeah. the damn thing. People today yeah. copy. I co- <laughs> I copied on saxophone. I remember learning some Herbie Hancock licks. It's kind of like he wrote the book for electric piano solos. People to this day still like play from that book. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's just the kind of monster influence that yeah. he's had. There's an awesome concert. It was a, a tribute to Miles Davis and it's Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, and Marcus Miller. Damn. Like one of my favorite bass players and talk yeah. about a guy that can get down, yeah. down with some funk and also a great band, band leader. The three of them and their heads together is insane. I'm sure. The last like partnership or collaboration I, I, I need to talk about is the relationship 
and friendship he built with Chick Corea, the late Chick Corea. Yeah. Who is also an amazing piano player, keyboard player. Yeah, they had really cool shit that they did together. So much cool shit. And the more they did shit together, the more they played together, the more you started to hear Chick Corea sound like Herbie Hancock. And Herbie Hancock starts sounding (laughs) a lot like Chick Corea. It wasn't one of those like one's better than the other and i don't ever feel like they ever competed even though they shared stage together and would mm-hmm. trade solos it was more like they fed each other and they were constantly they would push each other but you'd hear them like take the other one's idea and incorporate it into how they played there's something so awesome about that i know awesome. that, that just i think also speaks to what an awesome human being herbie hancock oh, is oh absolutely uh, like he's so. he's one of those guys that Unfortunately, it seems like it either goes one of two ways with jazz musicians. They either die of heroin or they carry on and education becomes massive to them. Herbie has been all education for freaking like 20 years now, right? Yeah. And he even had a, I don't know when the masterclass courses were really big. Oh yeah. A few years ago. Like he's got a good one. It's a jazz course. He didn't even like free stuff on YouTube. (laughs) He's always if anyone's interested in learning about jazz and music and you find something that herbie's put out there uh i'd say like that's an awesome way to start because he makes things pretty accessible he was designated a goodwill ambassador for promoting of peace through dialogue culture and the arts he's a good dude man he's an awesome guy obviously there's so much more we could say but i don't know there's anything that i specifically had planned on no i think uh i i think that's great maybe just to end it off Herbie Hancock is such a vast sea. So give people one project or like three songs or something like that to, to, yeah. to check yeah, out. Yeah. So I think going check out Gershwin's World, mm-hmm. the album Gershwin's World. That's the one that had St. Louis Blues on it that I talked yeah. with him, him and Stevie. The whole thing's awesome. And it's it's weird because he St. Louis Blues is not a Gershwin tune. He he likes to do this. He'll do like these albums inspired by an artist, but then put other how casual he is about these things. It's like, well, this is a good song. I just want to do it. The other one, I think my favorite is Headhunters just because I used to just jam to that and I'm really into funk. And that's a good a style kind of switch oh, right there I from think... Gershwin's World. Um, Gershwin's World also has some, like you want to hear Herbie Hancock go nuts on some like piano. He does, it's a riff on, it's some classical that he's just Gershwin? taken and just... no, 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 no. Uh, I can't think of now. Concerto for piano and orchestra in G. I don't know. I can't remember who the composer was. So that could be so many. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah. lot. of <laughs> Prelude in C minor. But yeah, it's like classical piano on the same album as you hear like stuff like his version of Summertime and he's got a bunch on there there's an overture there's all these things so that's that's the juxtaposition you listen to some classical you listen to some some jazz go check out headhunters that gives you like the funk the electronic stuff um i'd say also if you've got time a third album would be secret being like my second favorite there's some awesome solos on secrets i think that's the best way you want to hear him get down on fender roads there's some good stuff on secrets awesome or listen yeah. to a bunch of Miles Davis records and you'll hear Herbie. Or that too. Apparently he was on In a Silent Way, which I just learned. Taught me a lot tonight, Sven. Woo! That is Louis Prima and Herbie Hancock. Honestly, it's 13% of what there is to learn about them. <laughs> Either of them, yeah. But uh, hey, it's an hour-long podcast. We don't, we don't do three hours on this. I just love these. I just love learning about these guys. And I'm really glad that you chose somebody in this era because I don't know that much about this era. I think up until I was in my 30s, the Miles Davises and the Herbie Hancocks and the Chick Coreas were so intimidating to me mm-hmm. that I just couldn't get myself to fully get into it. But then you start listening to it and you start realizing that it's not intimidating. It's just good music. Yeah, These weren't intimidating guys. These weren't pompous men that knew they were better than everybody. They weren't like that. And I think once you kind of learn that about the people... It makes it easier to listen to the music. Definitely, Sven, that's it. We did it. That's nuts. I wish we could have had a listening party the entire time, too. That would have been very cool. Yeah. Sven, I think, is the next time I see you the finale? finale? No, we have our What Did We Miss This Year That's right. episode that you'll be... That'll be mid-November-ish, but... 
You're off for a month and a half I now. I am. Holy cow. What are you going to do with yourself? Uh, I'm on a boat. <laughs> You'll still be making promos. <laughs> still be making promos. <laughs> first com at pod. Do all the things and like all the things. And we're on Instagram and now we're on TikTok and doing 10 second reviews on TikTok, Sven. That's just, that's too much. It's too, 10 seconds is too many seconds, yeah, right? Too many, that's too many seconds. <laughs> this song is good. It should just be a sound effect, you know, like a ding or man. Yeah. Join us next week. We have a good old fashioned album exchange with Evil and I. We had said that we had, were done with album exchanges. I lied because we had an interview that fell through. Well, it didn't fall through. We're just doing it next year instead. But for now, hey. I'm still awake for the night. I'm feeling better. I think I'm going to go listen to Headhunters. Nice. Spend. You go listen to Headhunters. Yes. I'm putting on Jungle Book. Yeah. Headhunters first, then Jungle Book. That's what there I'm going to go. do. <laughs> good night and good luck. Awesome. That was a good one. That was a fun one. Mm-hmm.